Welcome to episode 22 of That Classical Podcast. This time, Paganini and Rossini. Hello! Hello! My name's Chris Bland. My name's Kelly Harlock. And you're listening to episode 22 of That Classical Podcast. Welcome to the show, everyone. (laughs) Today we're talking about Paganini and Rossini. Nice, Pagas. Mm. Pagas and Ross. Mm -hmm. Uh, And these guys are two Italian composers. And the reason we've linked them together is they were pals. Not super close pals. Like acquaintances. They knew... They would would nod at each other in a corridor if they passed. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Um, They became acquainted when uh, one of the conductors for one of Rossini's concerts uh, died, unfortunately. Unfortunately, and Paganini stepped in and was like, yeah, I got this. You're, you're fine. Nice. So they were, Stand they were up aware guy. of each other. Mm. So as is tradition, every time we do an episode with two composers, it's now time for... The 60 Second Show! Yes, that's right. It's the 60 Second Show. And that means that we have to do our best to condense a composer's life and times down into a minute or less. Hopefully not more. So, Chris, are you ready? Yeah, girl. Okay, I'm going to time you. Starting in three, two, one, go. Niccolo Paganini, born 1782, died 1840. Probably the most celebrated violin virtuoso of all time. Was born in Genoa, had lessons there on the violin, but was quickly better than his teachers. Lol. Went to Padua with his father, kept on being better than successive teachers. Um, by the time he was 18, had a reputation as a soloist, an outstanding or- orchestral player, matched by his reputation for gambling and womanising. 1805, <laughs> um, his part of Italy was annexed by France, so he gave violin lessons to Napoleon's brother-in-law. Uh, he left this court to tour around Italy as fame grows throughout Europe. Um, everyone loves him. He was seriously involved with a singer called Antonio Bianchi, and they had a son, Achilles, in 1825. But he still did quite a lot of sleeping around. Uh, he was pretty ill with uh, a bunch of different stuff throughout his life, including Halfway syphilis. Through. Oops. And was treated for these with mercury and opium. Mmm, delicious mercury <laughs> and opium. Uh, 1834, he got tuberculosis. Ooh. Uh, he recovered, but it slowed him down quite a lot. He stopped giving concerts in late 1834. 1836, he goes to Paris, sets up a casino, which fails immediately, leaves him financially ruined. Pawns all his instruments. Uh, he moves to Nice, his condition worsens. Uh, he gets laryngeal cancer, so can't speak. 1840, Bishop Nice sends a priest to read him his last rites. Pag says, go away, I'm not dead. And then he dies a week later. Oh, 57 seconds. Whoa, okay, I'll take it. Whoa, hold the phone, because <laughs> did you say that he got syphilis and they treated it with mercury? And opium. And opium. Mercury and Surely opium. Surely that's just opening a whole other cupboard of terrible diseases well, for you. Well, medical science a was, in a different, <laughs> it was in a different place back then. <laughs> different league. Wow, great. Okay. But so what I want to come back to that I found hilarious. So yeah. with most of the composers we talk about, they're like, Childhood prodigies, they're amazing. Yeah, always boring. Paganini so. was on the next level. So he started off, like I said, in Genoa. Uh, he had teachers, but very quickly, like, outstripped his teachers. So they were like, what? oh, we can't teach you anymore. What, you're like, much... as a young kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... They were like, you're much better than we are. So he went, <laughs> sorry, not Padua, he went to Parma with his father, got referred to this guy called Alessandro Rolla, mm. who was a well-known virtuoso. And literally, as soon as this guy heard Paganini play, he was like, nope, not touching this. Seriously? Passed him on to his teacher, the virtuoso's teacher. The virtuoso's teacher, in turn, immediately referred him on to his teacher. So (laughs) this guy, the top, top dude, called Gasparo Giretti, predictably didn't stay long with him either because he sort of outstripped him. Um, but these last few did have like an impact on his playing and his composition and stuff. Yeah. But just sort of, he just kept on outstripping his teachers because he was just that's insane. so so good. Yeah. yeah. It's like in the X Factor when like the actual contestant is better than the judge coaching them <laughs> and everyone knows it and it's really embarrassing. It's like Talisa, you're trying right. your best, but I'm sorry, you're not <laughs> you're out. not fooling anyone. No. 
So this reputation of his as a ridiculous virtuoso translated into his composition. Okay. And that brings me neatly on to the first piece we're going to talk about. (laughs) Lovely. This is a piece we've actually already mentioned once before on the podcast, if you cast your mind way back into the past, when we talked about Rachmaninoff, Mm. who composed his variations on a theme of Paganini. How could we forget? So it's the one that goes... Massive hands, yeah. Funny you should say massive hands. Yeah. So Rachmaninoff, we know, had massive hands, so he could do things on the piano Huge. that no one else could do. Enormous, yeah. Because we think he had this syndrome called Marfan syndrome, mm. which um, leads people who have it to become sort of very tall and thin and have, like, extraordinary flexibility in their hands, okay. as well as having enormous hands. Wow. So Paganini had this syndrome as well, mm. meaning that just because of his physicality, he was able to do all kinds of crazy stuff on the violin that it took decades and years and years for anyone else to be able to catch up with. So his hand was probably the size of an entire fingerboard on a violin, is what you're trying (laughs) to tell me. His hand was the size of a violin. So, for example, not going to lie to you, Kelly. Right. I don't know that much about the violin itself. So I was reading it up and it was like, he was doing all this stuff. And I was like, is is that impressive? (laughs) So I'll tell you this for free. So you can do left hand pizzicato, which is, so pizzicato is when you pluck the string with your finger rather Mm -hmm. than play it with a bow. Usually you do that with your right hand, your bowing hand. Mm -hmm. He could do it with his left hand as well, which apparently is very impressive. Yeah, sure. Um, He could play three octaves across four strings. So just in terms of like stretching across the strings. Holy crap. Yeah, just had an insane reach. Right. So the piece we're going to listen to now is uh, Caprice number 24. This was composed in around 1817. So he composed all of these Caprices. Caprice is just like a short piece, basically. A salad, yeah. And what? You know, like a Caprice. (laughs) (laughs) That was a bad joke. I got you, I got you. Thanks for laughing. So this, this is the 24th and final of these caprice, caprices and is famously more or less one of the most difficult pieces ever composed for solo violin. So it starts off with really? a... Blum, and then he just goes, goes a just bit goes bonkers. Goes off on one. Goes off on oh, one. Oh, this is going to be great. Shall we have a listen? Let's do it. <laughs> So I wanted to drop you sort of in the middle of it, so you didn't hear the main tune. And I appreciate that out of context... Some but we of the... sang it before, so it was pretty... I appreciate yeah. that out of context, some of those twiddly bits sound a bit bit much. You know what I was actually... Do you know what I think hearing that? It is not a beautiful piece, is it? <laughs> it sounds a bit like a bee at, at places, like many bees, but I can see how violinists would be drawn to it and indeed audience would be drawn to, to, to watch it just sure. because of the technical difficulty. The and it, it would be like a, perfor- a real performance, I think, to watch oh, yeah, for sure, and for see sure. someone running around <laughs> the fingerboard and doing all this stuff. So I can I can understand that. Not something I'd listen to, though, Fair of enough. an afternoon. So the, uh... The guy who's actually playing that is an Israeli violinist called Ivri Gitlis, who describes Paganini as a phenomenon rather than a development. So usually we see composers being like the next stage on and then this person built on this person's ideas and did this on top of that, on top of that. Mm. And because what Paganini did was so out there and so different to what everyone else was doing in terms of all the other violinists of his 
period were focused more on sort of intonation and bow technique and mm. doing stuff. No one else was doing this sort of agile leaping around and double stopping. Showing off, basically. Which is, remember, double stopping <laughs> is where you play more than one note at the same time, which we heard in that extract nice. there. So no one else was really doing what he did. And then everyone was like, um, uh, okay, should we just ca- carry on what we were doing? <laughs> should we just pretend this hasn't happened? Yeah, so he was just this sort of whirlwind of insane talent okay, that everyone's like ah uh, okay right so the phenomenon thing being people didn't actually want to build upon what he did it was just like a nice little distraction for the music at the time and then sort of maybe that's that's a bit unfair to say and we'll get on to some more of the discussion of his actual music and the criticism yeah. of his composition <laughs> right. in the next yeah. phase nice. um, but before I get onto that just talking before what you were saying about the wizardry and people coming to watch him yeah, yeah. he actually and you know I hesitate to say like he was the rock star of his day yes but he was <laughs> He kind of was. Yeah. So because he had this Marfan syndrome, he was very tall, very thin and pale. And people, his nickname was Hexenzorn, which means witch's son. Because his crazy talent made people think he was like possessed by the devil. And he sort of accentuated this. He loved the attention in the rumours. Was he a bit of a weird sex symbol? Like, was he someone's weird crush? Well, I told you, he did a lot of sleeping around. <laughs> and so he would wear all black. He would arrive at his concerts in a black carriage pulled by black horses. Oh, my God. And so he loved playing up to these rumours of being sort of a, a sexy rock Creepy star. Creepy sex, like Marilyn Manson. <laughs> yeah, of Exa- the 1800s. He's exactly like Nailed Marilyn it. Manson. <laughs> okay, great. And so that was our first piece by Paganini. On to the next one. So as I just mentioned, Mm. the reaction to Paganini's compositions isn't necessarily totally 100% positive all the time. Yeah, I see that. Mm. Mm. Um, Sometimes it's accused of being sort of just vehicles for virtuosity, basically. Yeah, and just showing off. Um, yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. So lots of his compositions were stuff that he obviously wrote for himself when he was on his tours around Europe, mm. uh, just to show, look how good I am. Yeah, yeah. So the piece we're going to listen to next is his fourth violin concerto, which he wrote in 1829. Mm. And there was a composer who was a contemporary of his, uh, who was a violinist as well, uh, a guy called Louis Spohr, or Spohr, I don't know, he was, <laughs> he was Austrian, so always. sometimes had yeah. a French, sometimes had a German pronounced name. Yeah. I don't know who described this concerto the following way. Mm. It alternately charms and repels, Mm. and it's a mixture of genius, childishness, and a lack of taste. So I thought I'd stick up for Paganini a bit there. So Okay, interesting. That is the slow movement of that concerto. So it's a bit more lyrical. Sure. It's a bit less showing off than some of his other pieces that he yeah, wrote for himself. Yeah. Having said that, though, what did you make of it? I feel like the backing kind of accompaniment is the equivalent of, like, a cheese sandwich. <laughs> like, it's just, like, it's fine. But yeah, it's, it's you're right. not going to write a postcard home about it, are you? You're not. And that is, that's one of the main criticisms levelled, like I said before, that when the orchestra's there underneath the violin part, it's just sort of 
just to have something what? keeping the harmony like, behind him uh, while he shows off at the front. Yeah, so true. You can just imagine <laughs> that, can't you? Knowing that he was such a show-off and he had this like kind of celebrity status, I yeah. think it makes it even more kind of ridiculous that he did that. On a perhaps like slightly less ad hominem Sorry. way of looking at the music, though. So as well as being a violin virtuoso, he was also a guitar, a mandolin, and a viola virtuoso, oh because God. of course. Of course. So some people, looking back at his compositional style, because he would have written things with a guitar as his main compositional aid rather than, say, a piano. So mm. his sort of way of approaching polyphony, i.e. when you get lots of parts working together at the same time... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm might have been slightly different. So at a piano, you think quite cordially. You're thinking about everyone working. You're plonking down a chord rather than picking at a string, aren't you? You're plonking it down. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So that's where some people think his more sort of harmony with a tune on top approach came from because he wasn't really a piano player. Hmm. But it might just be that he's a massive show off. I think it's probably that, isn't it? Isn't it? If we're honest. Well, if you think we've got Paganini totally wrong, <laughs> do let us know, because there are many yeah. people who are big fans of his, and I'm sure if you're a violinist, playing his work must be super and fun. I'd, yeah, and I'd love to watch it. Yeah, sure. But, you know, I'm sorry, I've been so scathing, I apologise. <laughs> but, um, Chris, no, tell, tell us what we should listen to if we want to hear more Pag. So, the rest of the caprices are all very interesting. Uh, they're all sort of, like I said before, showcases for the violin. So if you want to hear some real fireworks, some really cool explosive violin playing uh take a listen back through those number five is another particular favorite mm. uh that's that's i'd say a pretty oh, good jumping off point i will take it yeah uh, go and explore and yeah tell us your fave pieces by Paga. that classical podcast right so next up we have Rossini. Rossini. He is an Italian man. Have you ever seen um have you ever seen a series of unfortunate events? Yeah. And Jim Carrey is dressed as Carl Olaf and he's like, I am an Italian man when he comes in. That's all I think about. I've seen the new Netflix one, but no, not the old Jim Carrey yeah. one. Sorry. Um point being, we're gonna talk about Rossini now. As we said earlier, he was sort <laughs> of a kind of mate of Paga. Sort um, of. bit. So we're gonna dive into the 60-second show Let's once do again. It. Here I go, terrified. As always. Okay, are you ready? No. Are you steady? No. Go! Giacchino Antonio Rossini was born in February 1792 to a family of musicians in Passaro, Italy. His mum and dad were both musicians, so he was constantly around music and theatre as a kid. He was a natural in music, and at 14 entered Bologna's Philharmonic School and learned lots of instruments, including horn and harpsichord and violin. He then began conducting and composing, and in 1810 premiered The Bill of Marriage, his first opera. 1811 premiered Death of Dido. He pretty much just whacked out mainly comic operas all day, every day for the rest of his life. In 1812, uh, he coined the Rossini Crescendo, more on that later. Ooh. By 20 years old, he was one of Italy's most prominent composers, and everyone loved him. But his first serious opera, Tancredi, in 1830, 1813, in 1814, <laughs> of pneumonia at 76 years old. I sense I might have slightly rushed you at the end there. 
Oh no, did I have more time? No. Oh, okay, good. You know what? I, I only the only bit I missed Go on, give, out. Give me the last bit. The again, only bit right? I missed out was that he his wife passed away in eighteen forty five and he married his mistress in eighteen forty seven. That's not long it, enough, is no, it? No, it's just not. It's really not. Uh, apparently, they didn't have a happy marriage. Though the wife, the first wife, she was a total diva, um, like a singer, opera singer. But so he went back to Italy for a bit and then returned to Paris in eighteen fifty five. Yeah. And he wasn't writing any more operas by this point, so he wrote like a bit of sacred music, but generally. He was just like a lazy, like witty man about town who had a lot of dinner parties. Sounds like a really like, great guy. Yeah, it sounds yeah. hilarious. What's that um, thing you said halfway through about the, the Rossini crescendo? Oh my goodness. So I had no idea about this no, before researching that. it. But basically, lads and lassies, a, a crescendo in, in like classical music is, is when you get basically gradually louder across yeah. a few notes or a yeah. few bars and it's just quiet to loud. And Rossini started doing this thing where he'd get like a melody, so he'd he'd grab like four bars of music, or yeah. like eight bars of music, or even sixteen. So sure. basically, he'd just grab a little little snippet of the melody, then he'd repeat that melody about three times. Mm. So you kind of listen to it over and over again. You're like, where's he going with this? Okay. What's happening? Right. What's, what's happening? And so the so he'd do this three times, and then he'd suddenly halve it. Ooh. So it was like so instead of going. Um, la 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 la. He'd go like la 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 la, like you know, and and make it like a shorter version of the melody. So it sounded like it was speeding up, even though it's still the same. Even though it's sort of the same tempo, it's just kind of less of the notes. And he repeat that, repeat that. Then at the same time, he would instead of the just asking the orchestra to play louder. So essentially, asking the violinist to press a bit harder on the strings or the trumpeter to blow harder into the trumpet. As they, he would just he would just add more instruments, more sort of sections of instruments from around the orchestra. And he was a total expert in knowing the exact right time to add more. So he was adding to the texture, which thickened the texture and just naturally brought on Made more kind of volume yeah. and fuller. So he was doing this. And then when it was loud and sort of, a you know, fake quicker. Yeah. And it got to like that sort of highest point of that. He would then make all the instruments go up oh an octave, like to their highest <laughs> kind of like... Oh. So what you'd basically have is a total frenzy, like la, 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 like really loud, really high. And I'm so he'd like, that sounds kind of overwhelming. No, it sounds I, but, like a bit much. But you know what? It was amazing because he he would use that to signal the end of an overture, which is the sort of piece at the beginning of an opera before yeah. the opera starts, um, or maybe the end of Act One. You know, this really climactic uh, yeah, bit. Okay. And I just think it's great. And so people around Paris when he was in Paris used to call him Monsieur Crescendo. <laughs> um, Sorry, that's and... a rubbish name. <laughs> It's all right. Hey, uh, I, I can think of, get louder. I can think of worse things to be called, to be honest. Like Hexenzone. Yeah. Or, or Schwammer. Or Schwammer. <laughs> Little mushroom. Anyway, so that was what uh, 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 Rossini Crescendo was. And you probably heard me say in the 60 Seconds that Rossini was a dude who wrote operas. Like, he just <laughs> could not stop. He smashed them out. He just pumped them out all the time. All day, everywhere, every day. <laughs> and um, he loved an opera. And he started his career writing a lot of sort of comic operas for the theatre yeah. and then sort of moved on to writing serious operas for the actual sort of opera. Like when a comedian's like, I'm actually, my first love yeah. was dramatic theatre. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure, exactly, yeah. Um, and, but he did, so, but then he got rather sick of it. And when he wrote William Tell, I hope I, hope I said this in the 60 seconds, but <laughs> he actually, so Rossini wrote William Tell. Yeah, which everyone will know. And then when he, when that premiered, I think that was 19, um, 1829. After that point, he was like, right, I'm done. No more operas. <laughs> Peace. And I, there, was, there was an amazing quote from him that's like, 
opera would be so much better without opera singers. <laughs> I agree. Oh my god, I Rossini. Like I agree so I knew much. I like that. Um, also, he was married to an opera singer, so I feel like maybe he, he had <laughs> like it, first-hand experience. He was subtweeting his wife. <laughs> Exactly. So, right, the first piece we're going to do, I bet you're going to know, it's from The Barber of Seville, right? Which is a really famous opera, um, which Rossini wrote. And uh, it's also known as The Useless Precaution. What? Like a condom with a hole in it, (laughs) as far as I can tell. Anyway, so look, this is probably one of the most famous operas of all time. And it's definitely one of those operas that always seems to be playing somewhere. Am I right? Sure, like, sure. At yeah. the Opera House, at the ENO, down the road in the pub. Do you know what I mean? Like somewhere. And it's a comedy. And it goes a little like this. So it's Seville in the yeah. 18th century, right? Yeah. There's a doctor called Bartolo who pretty much keeps his niece, Rosina, hostage because he wants to marry her for her juicy inheritance. So mm. all in all, he's a total creep. And then a count called Count Almaviva um, falls in love with Rosina um, and under the guise of being a poor student. But he can't get to her because of his uh, weird, creepy uncle. So he enlists the help of the town barber called Figaro. Because <gasps> Figaro is also a bit of a matchmaker, a bit of a kind of okay. jack of all trades. Is this going to be another one of these ones where that they wrote in the 1800s all the time, or 1700s, where it's like, oh, I'm in disguise, so you can't yeah, tell who exactly. I am? Well, technically, I don't think she knew what he looked like before she met her. Carry on with so, this. Carry on. Sorry, I'll stop But anyway, so, so, uh, so um, Count Almaviva enlists the help of Figaro, this barber, and they yeah. form sort of various plots and plans to try and whisk Rosina away, and things go slightly awry, but eventually it all kind of sorts itself out. Just okay. G- Google it. Um, you know what, though? It's really funny. It's okay. a really funny play and opera. You know, okay, if, right. if you want to start off your opera journey with something, go and see the... Bar- um, oh, sorry, I was about to say The Marriage of Figaro. Go and see uh, The Barber of Seville. Um, That's the point, actually. Is the, so The Marriage of Figaro is an opera by Mozart, right? Yes. Is it the same Figaro? So, yes. So, basically, it's sort of a trilogy, and Mozart used that libretto, that kind of storyline for hit, for The Marriage of Figaro. Uh, okay. And Rossini used that libretto storyline for oh, so the, the, the base, Not the operas, but the basis the, the basis plays, exactly yeah that's exactly right yeah um, um so yeah and they're both brilliant but but do do go and see the barbersville it's great okay. so the aria that we're going to listen to is called largo al factotum <gasps> you are gonna know this aria i, I guarantee I you because you know what figaro the barber the matchmaker is singing it he says <laughs> it, basically he comes on stage saying make way it's me I'm a great barber. Scissors, I got him. <laughs> Leeches, I got 20. <laughs> uh, and shouts his own name a lot. And he's like... Oh, right, they're figuring yeah, I'm gonna... <laughs> yeah, and everyone wants... He's like, everyone wants me to assist them. And I'm like, sure, baby, why not? I'm just talking about all the kind of objects that he owns in his shop. <laughs> and just saying... Look at all my stuff. Let, I'm a good Let's barber. listen to it. It's fantastic. Quella parrucca, ha presto la barba, quella sanguigna, ha presto il biglietto, tutti mi chiedono, tutti mi vogliono, tutti mi vogliono, tutti mi vogliono, quella parrucca, presto la barba, presto il biglietto, ehi figaro, 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 figaro. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? It's just... I am a great barber. I am a great barber. Yeah. It's the kind of opera that I don't particularly like. You know it's what, like, though? oh, 
but no, but saying that, if you watch it, it's so funny. Like listening to that sure, song without like... the play, yeah, the actual acting, because he's coming on stage and he's just this absolute like he's meant to be lad. Pompous, he's, yeah, ridiculous. like boys, boys, boys. Like it's it's really really good. Boys and barbers, boo, boo, boo. exactly. But um, let, you know what though, actually, and it's worth saying about that piece. It's really difficult to sing, not just because it's oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, but because of the words. It's so <laughs> tongue twisty. Like really? if you if you listen to that whole thing, I really hope you do, and and look up the lyrics and just try and say them out loud, let alone sing them out Even loud. Just like, really, figure off, figure off, figure off, figure exactly, off. Really and it just goes so <laughs> fast, and yeah. But anyway, uh, one last thing about that. And actually about the Barber of Seville in general is that the opening night, it's another diabolical opening night Yay! story, our favourite <laughs> on that classical podcast. Basically, not only did people kind of hiss and jeer throughout, because I think there were a lot of like political kind of standoffs between like members of the audience at the time. I, okay, I, I don't know. Right, right. So one of the actors tripped over on stage, <laughs> had a huge and prolonged nosebleed, but had to keep performing and sang an aria <laughs> with like his nose absolutely beating. And then an unexpected stress cat wandered on stage wouldn't leave and had to be forcibly hurled into the wings <laughs> so I mean but I mean, after, excellent I mean absolutely I would have been pissing myself if I was in that audience that sounds and on stage. utterly brilliant um, what a legendary cat but then after that point the second night onwards apparently it was a super duper hit so that my friends is the Barber of Seville go and check it out it's wonderful but for now on to the next one that classical podcast. Next! Yo. So, the next piece we're going to talk about, I'm going to have to present it with a little bit of role play, <sighs> right? We all love a bit of role play. Okay. Okay, guys, you're at a concert. You're at a classical music concert with two sopranos. They've sung some lovely songs for you. Okay, all so right? far, there's not particularly difficult yeah, role yeah, play. Yeah, no, this is all right. You're in the audience. They've stopped singing. <laughs> They've bowed. You're clapping. They go off stage for a bit. Then yeah. they come back on. They're doing an encore. What's commonly known as an, an encore. encore. Yeah. You're like, fine, all right then. You know, it's some sheet music is shuffling around on stage. Uh, the pianist sits down. Yeah. Silence. A few notes on the piano. And then the singers start to meow and what i mean Grace. by that is they just start meowing what to the piano on stage because you're right that's it we're gonna talk about the cat aria the cat <laughs> so aria. this is not a joke people and what? if you've been to perhaps i mean have you heard it chris like I've heard I, of I've it. I've heard of it. Because yeah. I've been to now a couple of like singing like concerts the where they've ended with this. <laughs> and it's like classical music's hilarious, guys. Oh my God. Check it out. But like, we feeding into that narrative I, though of like, oh, isn't this funny? Isn't this jocular. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's called Duetto Buffo. So like a comedy duet di due gatti. So like of two cats, <laughs> right? Funny two cat and song. It must be. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And te- te- technically, Rossini did not write this. What? But Are you cheating whoever no, whoever did used excerpts from his opera called Otello. Otello. Well, Otello is like a really serious tragedy. Where do you have because two, well, two whoever, whoever arranged it literally just took bits of the of a certain aria and just put it to meows. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, and it was written in 1825. So it, was, and it, so it was around the time so, Rossini yeah, was still going in his lifetime. Um, wow. But basically, there's not a lot to say. Usually, it's by two sopranos, and it is just like a meow off. Can and we hear it? yeah, this time this is a soprano and actually a male singer as well. But let, let's just listen to it, and uh, you can make your own mind up. Meow. 
and here we are <laughs> today. Um, cats, and it's not even like a singing meow. It's like a like a cat. No, no they're just making cat noises. Meow. So, Cal, what have you done? That's so what weird. Have I, what have I done? Well, fine. Well, if you want my actual logic behind this, it's because I was looking through Rossini's outfit, and it's all opera, right? right. He did like a couple of sacred pieces when he was kind of older, Getting older. but like. I just thought this is the perfect thing to play because it's like classical music being silly. It's being silly. And <laughs> I, like, I mean, it's a can stretch you imagine, to pull that. Though, can you imagine in 1825, people would have been like peeing their pants <laughs> with laughter. Like they would have absolutely loved that. And, I mean, uh, it, yeah, it's weird. But... It's utterly bizarre. <laughs> As I, just, I just wanted to share it with you um, and probably quite vocally slightly challenging as well oh, so, is, yeah. um, but anyway I'm going to put that on the Spotify playlist and you can listen all the way through it it is quite something hope you enjoyed that if you want to listen to other things yeah, by what's, Rossini, what's some other I would actually say things. go and listen to Otello it's a, it's a lovely opera that he yeah. did unfortunately I can only really offer you operas it's <laughs> all we had really it's all um, had but go and certainly listen to The Barber of Seville go and listen to William Tell so the overture is the one that goes but you know the actual opera itself is also fine okay um il turco in italia you know all these just go and go on spotify and type in his name and it will come up with all of his famous operas so just do that <laughs> just listen to every do you know what i mean them, just please. listen to yeah. them but yeah enjoy that classical podcast so that was our episode on Paganini Woo. and Rossini. Woo. Hope you've learned a lot today. If you have and you want to talk to us about it, why not contact us at mm. all our social media outlets? Hey. Chris, take it away. <sighs> you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at That Classical. You can find us on Instagram. We're at That Classical Insta. Nice. If you prefer Facebook, just search That Classical just Podcast. Yeah, yeah. We're right there. Uh, we're our, we've got an email. That's what I was going to say. Address. Yes, we do. That Classical email at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We love getting emails from you guys we do, we do. Uh, is that it is that all well, the socials we have the only other thing is that we now have a Spotify playlist it's so oh, amazing yeah. to see so many of you following it already I update it every single time we have an episode with mm. not only the music from the episode but all the things we've suggested you go and listen to and indeed the pop songs that usually inspire our stings <laughs> and intros as well so, so check that out and also don't forget to go on iTunes and leave us a nice review <laughs> that would be lovely you, if you did that as well you five star brilliant uh, and otherwise we'll see you next time bye, bye. bye.